Well, let's study together Romans chapter 2 as we continue to look at uh, judgment defined, God's judgment, and how he defines it and the principle and purpose behind his judgment. Of course, we see in the world today, it's, uh, you'll hear all sorts of different things about judgments and justice and rights and all of these things. And, and the world really does everything it can to distract you and to steer you away from God. And so this morning, our desire is to hear from God. And so we'll read uh, in Romans 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, I'm only going to do point uh, number one this morning. Uh, because uh, I like to talk about some of the implications of this and the practical application, so I'm going to probably get preachy. Imagine that. And so, uh, and so I'm going to spare uh, a 50 to 60-minute sermon, on. Uh, so we'll try to cut it down uh, and do part two next week. Uh, I'm, I'm taking the advice of my elder Don back there. And uh, Don goes, Pastor, you know you can do two parts. We love to hear the rest of it instead of smash it all together. So I'm following you, Don, and uh, good advice. So, well, let's pray and read God's word and glorify and lift up him this morning. Lord, I am so privileged and blessed as we open up your word uh, to be in front of our church family to talk with them not about my wisdom, but about your wisdom. Lord, um, help uh, them uh, uh, through your power, through your Holy Spirit, to, to hear your word, to understand your word, despite my fallacies and my uh, bad English. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we could clearly understand the, your truth and your wisdom. Teach us and Help us to understand why these things are important so we don't get confused in the days that we live and that we ultimately we would glorify you and that we would honor you above all. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of it. Help us not to make it unclear, but to listen to you this morning. I just thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you for the lives that have lived for you, that, that have glorified you, that we get to celebrate this week. Um, with the Lunsfords and the Hivelys, and what a blessing that'll be. And uh, pray for the weather, that uh, you will help us to navigate that well, depending on whatever you give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's, uh, if you've ever wondered, uh, the judgment defined, because we really want it to be defined by God, and that's what we're going to read in a minute. But the measured by God's righteousness uh, there, that byline or that tagline, it's very important. Um, how do we measure things? What we measure it by, right? Um, and so that's why we are measuring it by God's righteousness, by his holy behavior, by who he is, his holiness, his purity. Um, and he defines judgment, and we want him to define judgment. And so it makes things more alive and more beneficial uh, to us. And so we want to do that this morning. So listen intently as we read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Therefore, you, O man, have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly 
or according to what is right, falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, uh, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? For do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. We see here basically how God is going to exercise judgment. We see the principles of how God does this and what is he going to do. Um, It really helps us because it makes verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1 so much bigger and grander and beautiful when it says that the power of God reveals, the power of salvation reveals God's righteousness. Uh, God's salvation and the salvation he gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ through his work is powerful. It does things that no one can do. It changes lives. It changes culture. It changes society. It changes everything. The problem is, is that one of the things is, is we soften what, how big and how powerful gospel is because we, we change the way things are defined or how they are measured. We change what judgment is. We change how we are justified or how we are made right in God's eyes. We change all of these things. And so God is giving us in Romans a detailed, broken out definition of all of these things to show how great the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for us truly is. That redemption for our sins. And he he starts by, in chapter 1, by talking about his wrath and how it's poured out on those that have turned their back on him. And then he goes to the good and moral person in chapter 2 and says, guess what? All of you that said yes, 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 through chapter 1 said yes for the gospel. Yes, all those that, you know, practice all these ungodly, unrighteous, immoral, you know, adulterous things and who are living this debased life and who can't think correctly. You know, you see that at the end of chapter 1 and they are so horrible. And then you all are saying yes, 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 that's exactly right. And then he gets to chapter 2. All of you that are saying yes, and guess what? You too are without excuse. And it's a powerful thing to realize that everyone is under God's judgment, no matter how good you think you are. And we see the real power of the gospel then displayed as God unfolds how great his judgment and how complete his judgment really is. We see that it's defined by his character, which is a huge thing because today 
justice and judgment is being defined by people's emotions and people's desires. We see culture trying to define what judgment and what real justice is. It's confusing, and, and a lot of believers that I know that love the Lord struggle with this because there's a lot of good things. In fact, our culture is even taking good things out of the Bible and saying, you should do this because the Bible says this. And they take a little bit of truth so that way you'll follow the, all, the big, big chunk of error that goes with it. You realize that as you start to believe it, it's kind of hard to swallow because it's not from the Lord. It's from our culture trying to define God rather than God defining what our culture should be. God brings everything under his subjection. God brings everything under his definition of things, and that includes our salvation. That includes being judged. The first thing we notice in verses, in verses 1 and 2 and 3, we notice that God's judgment will be based on his complete truth. It's not based on what we think of other people. It's not based on this horizontal view of us judging one another. It's based on God's complete truth. We know in, in Psalm 119, it's the sum of God's word is truth. It's not cherry picking and just taking one thing out and leaving another and saying, oh, well, that's not truth. It's what I feel about it. No, it's all of what God says leads us to his truth. The other principle is this, is that God's true judgment is inescapable and according to his right timing. A lot of times people that are good and moral and they're religious and they look at everybody else and they're defining judgment by what they see and they, they judge everybody else and they're saying, well, I'm not under judgment and everything is going good and life is good and, and they're presuming upon God's mercy and his grace and that fact that he hasn't judged them yet the reason why is it's meant to lead them to repentance to be justified by God's work when he died on the cross for our sins not according to what we think judgment and justice is and we think that a lot of times people say well I'm I'm good and so I'm escaping judgment but that is not true there's a lot of people that follow that in a lot of religious ways. They look at their religion and moral behavior and they say that I am above, I'm privileged and I'm above God's judgment. And he repeatedly says, but you, oh man, you suppose, but you are without an excuse. It gets us to the third principle that we're going to speak two weeks on because I really want us to define this and that is that it is just and right. That is God's judgment is just and right. Another way to say it is, is that God judges fairly. Parents, you don't like that word, do you? Fair. Uh, um, I remember uh, when my kids were little, my first set of kids when they were little, uh, you know, they were walking through the, through the, um, the oh, grocery store with mom I was sitting there, we were chasing down some stuff and getting some stuff. Kids were holding on to the grocery cart, you know, and mom's trying to keep them from ramming people with it. And they're walking through and somebody in the grocery store yelled, uh, said something. And there were a kid that said, well, it's not fair because they weren't getting something they wanted. And my kids screamed out. My kids are like, dad, they said the F word. Because... <laughs> 
it was, it was illegal to say fair in our house. Because if they said fair, they would lose something. Because in our household, there is no such thing as fair because we're all different, right? There is no such thing as fair because everybody is different. Everybody has different abilities. Everybody has different problems. There's all sorts of these different things, right? And we don't like the term fair, but when we come to God's judgment, that's what Paul is saying. It is fair. It is right. It is just. Every man will get exactly what he deserves, is what God is talking about here as he defines the principles of his judgment. A lot of times when we look, and there's a lot of people today when they look at judgments, like, that's not fair. Whether we look at the political realm or we look at cultural things, there's a lot of that going around. And a lot of that is because people are trying to force people to believe things or force people to do things or accept things or, or to give up things. And there's all of this forcing and molding and and saying that everything has to be a certain way. But the reality is, that, that's right, it's not fair because everything is subjective. But what Paul says here in, in verse 5, he says, but because of your hard and unrepentant heart, or impotent heart, he says, because of this, you are storing up wrath for yourselves of the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, it says, he will render to each one according to his works. Everyone will be judged fairly according to every one of their works. Every man will get exactly what he deserves. That's what Solomon was saying in Proverbs 24, verse 12. Listen to what he says. You know, the wisest man in the world that even in his own wisdom was wise according to his own eyes and got into trouble. And he wrote Proverbs to talk about it. He says this, it says, If you say, behold, we didn't know this. How many parents have heard that? I didn't know that. Right? Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he, talking about God, who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Everyone will be judged Fairly, because, because it will be according to man's heart. God knows every man's heart. He can perceive the heart. He knows the attentions that you have. Even though you say, well, I didn't know that. Or, I didn't understand that. Right? But God knows your heart. Do you see how he defines the heart here? Uh, talking about a good, this is, by the way, not an evil uh, man who has deliberately said, I know this about God, and I'm going to turn away. This is a good, moral, upright man that he's describing. And he says in verse 5, he says, But because of your hard and impotent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. You know, that word stubbornness is quite revealing. You know, it's the word in the Greek that we get scoliosis or sclerosis. In fact, they, they took this Greek term to describe multiple sclerosis. This is the, uh, the etymology of this word is fascinating. It's basically the hardening, hardening the actual just the, the straight Greek word is, means the hardening of body tissue. But 
in a clinical term, they took this Greek term and talking about the hardening of, and they used it during the time when Paul wrote this, and they knew that they had an idea that there was these hardenings of body tissue that created conflicts and problems. And it's, they used it to describe, uh, you know, involving damages of different body tissues that created tumors or that would create numbness or that would create speech problems or that would create muscle contractions uncontrolled. All of this described during this Roman era. And that's where we get the term for multiple sclerosis or MS, right? And it's describing this very same thing. It's the damaging of the sheaths and nerve cells around your brain and spinal cord, and as it swells and hardens, those symptoms will include numbness, impairment of speech, muscular coordination will go away, and, and things will stop working correctly, blurred vision, and severe fatigue will set in. Isn't that amazing? This is what Paul is talking about when he's, when he's revealing God's judgment and why God's judgment is right and true. Why is it fair? Because man's heart has become hardened. It's been hardening to who God really is and to God's true judgment. You know that word in, in uh, several translations is impotent or unrepentant means admitting no change of mind. It's, it's an admission. It's that they, they use this word to describe an admission that they knew they weren't repenting, but it's continuing to do what they wanted to do in life. This is why God is judging the religious moral man. It's because he knows their condition of their heart. They need a heart transplant. This is what they really need. 2 Chronicles 30, verses 7-8 through 8, talks about Israel and, and talks about their history. It goes back and talking about their history. And it's interesting as they talk about this. And it says, Do not be like your fathers or your brothers, who are faithless to see the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do, do you not know, do not now be stiff-necked, that's the word there, the same word we're talking about, stubborn. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may be turned away from you. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes about this very thing, he, about what, what uh, in Chronicles, what they were talking about. And he says in, in Hebrews 3, verse 7 through 12 and, and through 15, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today is, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's the same word again as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, talking about Israel, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. He's saying, they saw my miracles one after another for 40 years, and their heart was still hardened. He said, don't be like them. Verse 10, it says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they, will, they always go astray in their heart, they have not known my ways. One of the things about why God, God's judgment is just and right is because of this stubborn heart, because of man, our heart, 
God knows it, and that stubborn and unrepentant heart will always lead us away from God's righteousness, from what is right and true, honest and of good report, our ability to rejoice in the Lord, to find peace that God supplies to us. In fact, it says in verse 11, And as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Although in 40 years they went around and around in circles in the wilderness, and it's, not a, it's a desolate place. I got to visit there when I was in Israel. It, it was like amazing. I thought, how can somebody wander 40 years in like a, a 35 square mile region and not get to where they need to go? Well, after being in there in that wilderness, yes, it's not hard. It's very desolate. There's crags and ravines, and there's a lot of places to get turned around and lost for a long time. And all those, that generation that was hardened their heart, God, they wasted away and they died and never entered into the promised land. But it says in verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are deceived into believing those passions, those desires, those emotions, those things that we see that that we want to follow, that those are better than the Lord, that they will lead to good things when there is nothing good except God alone is good. You say, why do people that believe or that have gotten saved, or why do good people just not see the Lord? It's because they pursue things that cause their hearts to be hardened. Verse 14, it says in in Hebrews 3, it says, For we have come to share in Christ, and indeed we hold uh, our original confession firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is going back to 2 Chronicles Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here we see in verse 5, moral, good, religious man that feels good, feels good about his chances, he feels good about his life, his feeling in his heart is that he's okay. But we see in verse 5 that all he's doing is storing up for himself wrath on the day of wrath. That term storing up is a banking term. It means that instead of every time this moral, righteous, good person thinks he's storing up good things, he's actually storing up wrath. So when he comes to the Lord, instead of having a bank of blessings, he has a bank of wrath that he's deposited each and every day. That's that's a sad thing. Job 36, 13, we read, says, The hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. That's exactly what Paul was saying. One of the things that we learn about this is is that God's judgment is personal, individual. He's talking about that we are all under God's judgment, and it's not, we're not under God's judgment because of a category or group, but because of our individual things that we do. Verse 6, he says, he will render to each one according to his works. It's personal. The problem with hypocrites or religious people 
or religious things or good people or moral people is that they tend to lump everyone together and condemn and judge them all based on a, a human standard. According to what God is saying in these verses, God's judgment in life of a person is an individual matter. In other words, every person will be judged according to his own merits. He will have to pay for his or own choices and sin. It's not based on everything like, oh, I went to church, so I'm good, and I was part of that group. No, it's your individualness. Basically, he will be judged according to what he's done, not according to what our parents or, right? Sometimes we're, we think we're going to be judged based on our parents or we're judged based on politics or we're judged based on cultural leaders and what they've done or how many, um, you know, we see today how many people are blaming their parents or blaming their society, blaming their government for all their own actions. Galatians chapter 5, this should scare us when it says in Galatians 5, it says, do you not know that God is not mocked? He is not deceived. You will reap what you sow. If you sow of the Spirit or the things of God, you're going to reap the benefit of those things. But if you sow of the things of the flesh, you're going to reap those, which leads to death and corruption. God is not mocked. I mean, we can't mock him and say, well, look how good I am and, and get away with it. He's not deceived by our goodness. The world is, and this should help us realize something, is, is today our culture that's surrounded, you may hear terms like social justice or social gospel or you'll hear CRT, and all of these things are built on group identities. In fact, Going back to the Frankfurt School in Germany way back ago and where Marxism took root and all of these things, they are, it has nothing to do with individual responsibility, but has everything to do with groups being pulled together. Scott Allen wrote a book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. He said this, it says, The biblical worldview asserts that human beings are created in the creation of a holy, good, and loving God and that we both, male and female, are made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1. It's all about our identity is in God. Not in groups. Not in feelings, emotions, and desires. And he goes on to write, and he says, The ideological social justice, by contrast, view human beings as creatures whose identity is wholly determined by groups, group affiliations, particularly those on race, sex, and so-called gender identity. There is no human nature that you're responsible for. You're only defined by the identity and group that you choose to belong to. Nancy Percy writes in, a, in, a, in her book, Finding Truth, and explains the social justice anthropology or where it comes from. And it's the idea, she says, Every, everyone's ideas are merely social constructs stitched together by cultural forces. Individuals are little more than mouthpieces for communities based on race, class, gender, ethnicity, sexual identity. Jordan Peterson also agrees, and he wrote this. He says, ideological social justice denies the existence of the individual. It claims that all of you are an avatar of your group 
or identity of that group. This helps us explain why there's so much gender issues. Because their sexual activity isn't viewed as a choice, but rather, or behavior, and or sin, but as an identity. I'm choosing my own identity by whatever group I want to go to. It's not what I do, it's who I am. There's the other issue that comes out of this, and that is there is a pro- uh, probably no more far-reaching belief in ideological social justice, Alan goes on to say, than its denial of the individual. Based on radical presuppositions, your personal history, life experience, choice, and deeply held beliefs don't matter. The only things that matter in defining who you are are your group affiliations, individual freedoms, responsibilities, and accountability are all casualty of this profound, destructive, dehumanizing belief. That's not what God is saying here. Saying our hearts are hard and unrepentant and it will be rendered to us what is due. Why is it just and fair that God judges us individually? It's because he knows our heart. He knows what's in our heart. We can't claim, well, I was in this group and this happened or this group or this. I, I identify with this or that. It is God's truth, his just and right truth that he judges all mankind. It's very profound. We see the twistedness of this, that there is no individual responsibility anymore. And that's why it's so frustrating when we look at our society and say, why is all of this going on? How can they believe this? It's just this natural idea of moving away of personal responsibility before God. God is fair. A lot of times we forget that. God knows everything. We were talking about that in in our Knowing God series in Sunday school, that God is wise. And a lot of times we we don't understand what's coming or why God says to do things a certain way. And because of that, sometimes we, we don't trust in his wisdom. We start to trust in man's because they come up with a seemingly logical explanation that evidentiary, you know, after scientists really do science, they find out that it's false. But God is real. God's truth matters. When everybody is responsible, that's how powerful the gospel is. God changes one individual after another through the power of the gospel when they respond with a true repentant heart and come before God and say, I am desperately wicked. They remove that that stubbornness and that scales that are over their eyes and, and they say that the Lord is God and he is right and he is fair to send me to hell and I deserve that but I'm trusting in the work of Christ and what he did to pay for my sin. That makes the gospel so much sweeter to realize that is who I really am. That I have MS when it comes to my relationship with the Lord. Sometimes I'm blind. Sometimes I'm paralyzed by the things going on in my culture or my circumstances. Sometimes I I can't even talk. I 
I just don't have words to explain what's really going on with my emotions, right? God knows that. That's why we need a Savior. That's why God is just and right. We can't just say that I belong to this group or that group. We are individually all responsible for our relationship with Christ. We're responsible for our own works and deeds. We're going to talk about that next week. There's, a group, there's two groups that he identifies multiple times, and we're going to talk about the implications of that But next week. I want to encourage you to think about this. Where is your heart? Do you believe that you're good and that you're just, that because you go to church and you do good things or you have good parents, that you're going to, that you're, hey, I'm special. I just happen to be, you know, with all the right people at the right time. And, and because of that, God's going to let me into heaven and I'm not going to be judged. You were given a special opportunity to hear the gospel, the fact that we need a Savior because our sin, we deserve hell. Are you going to respond to that call in your life? And just like these said, uh, they're walking in obedience by being baptized, that they're no longer identifying with their good life, but they're, they're identifying with the work that Christ did when he died on the cross. He said, I am all in. He is my Lord. No longer am I Lord. No longer am I God. And I can just choose whatever I want. Have you repented of your sin, of rejecting and turning away from the Lord? And have you turned to the Lord and say, I am a sinner. I need. If you haven't done that, confess. As we pray and as we close, as we sing, as you realize that you need Christ, you need his work, there's only one way to heaven. It says the wages of sin is death. Romans 3, we're getting there. But it says the gift of, in, Roman, in Romans 3, it says that there's none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 6, it says there's, there's, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, through his work. Will you respond to that work, confess your sins, and be saved this morning? The rest of you, may you realize that all your works are without excuse. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about after you're saved, those things that we choose to do or not do are we held accountable before the Lord. We're still held accountable for every one of our actions, even though we're saved and we're forgiven, right? He's not talking about our salvation here. He's talking about just how judgment works. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our desire would be to glorify you. You have told us that there is no other name by which men might be saved. It's only you have even said, Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I pray that all would hear would realize that we are all under judgment and what judgment really is and that it is individualistic. We are responsible for our own heart, our own thoughts, our own desires, and our own things. When we choose because of our emotions to do something that doesn't bring glory to you, when we choose based on our feelings to do something because we feel like it's better, 
than what your word tells us to do, your, your wisdom, your truth. And we deny that, that we, we are held accountable for that. Lord, may we choose to honor you, to listen to your word and to obey it, to follow you, not to follow our own desires and patterns and emotions. Lord, I thank you for, uh, as you define all of these things about judgment, that we can get a proper, proper perspective of our salvation and that being good is not good enough. Just being religious is not good enough but we need to have a right relationship with you based on your work, your righteousness. Not, there's nothing good that we can do compared to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient, being obedient to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. May we also follow your example by being obedient and serving our Father who is in heaven. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our church family. May we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.